Welcome, you're at OTR, Over the Rainbow, Achieving Mental Health for Real. This show is about real people battling real mental issues, and experts with tips to help in the battle. If you want to know more, please check out my trailer. Your host is Bob Adelman, and his notes about today's episode follows. Join me and Carolyn Sophia, Scaron, author and singer. She wrote the book Unbreakable, about her voyage from the brink of suicide to an advocate against the taken of one's life. Her story is a true testimony of how anyone can overcome their mental issues and enjoy life so much more. And now Bob's interview with Carolyn Sophia, Scaron. Hello, Carolyn. How are you? I'm great. I'm doing fine, even on this rainy day. How are you? I'm good. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to OTR. Could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? So I am 24 years old. I um, My name is Carolyn Sophia Scourin, but I recently started going by Carolyn Sophia as a homage to my grandma. Her name was uh, Sophie. Since I put it on the book, I figured that I might as well start using it. Um, so... I have um, been always into mental health, um, like whether good or bad. I think that's something I've always uh, been really big on. But I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I graduated from Chatham University back in 2020 with a marketing major and a communications uh, PR minor. And I graduated in a lovely pandemic. Uh, And unfortunately, during that pandemic, I got into a really bad car accident, kind of lucky to be alive, honestly. Um, I grabbed my seatbelt a few seconds before the crash. And so in the midst of graduating and also, you know, trying to just get everything together with my health um, was all kind of a, a struggle. But it all, um, you know, one day I was sitting, you know, on my couch and I just thought about something and I was like, I'm so lucky to be alive. I am very lucky to have you know, a second chance. And especially because I got bullied a lot as a child, I just felt so grateful. And I felt that my mental health was at a good enough place where I should start talking about it and be more open. And so that's kind of how that's kind of how the book started. That's great. Um, I noticed you said that you may have ADD or ADHD. No, 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 I don't have ADHD. So what I have is called nonverbal learning disability. Okay. And that is a little bit different than um, like what you would say for ADHD or ADD because um, nonverbal is more, you know, it's more about your brain with like spatial and physical um, organizational skills, uh, you know, recognizing sometimes social cues, which honestly isn't that much of an issue for me. Spatial awareness, I think that that could explain my driving. <laughs> like, yeah. honestly. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's something that affected me a lot in school. So I had a really hard time with reading, writing, um, especially math and science. Oh, that was like awful for me. It's different for everyone. You know, it, it's not something that is going to be the same on each person. But for me, it definitely affects me more um, like with what I do daily. Sometimes it will cause me to like misread a situation. I will say that is something mm-hmm. I still um, I still kind of am, you know, working on with my learning disability. Uh, but it's something I'm definitely working on because it kind of causes a little bit of, uh, you know, struggle with social cues and stuff like that. Yeah, I have a lot of that. Uh-huh. I interrupt a lot. I'm a little people. I'm a little short sometimes, although I'm very tall. 
but uh, I, I just wanted to go back as far as you can remember. Uh, do you remember when you started to feel a little bit insecure about things? Well, about my life, about myself, yes. I, I kind of have grown up with a lot of this thing, the thinking of mentality of I'm not enough. Um, and, uh, and the weird thing is, though, and people always ask me this, it's like my family is so incredible. Like my parents did everything and more. Like they are the best people ever. But every t- and my sister, like, but then I left the house and every time I'd go to school, I would feel like I was a loser or I wasn't enough. And, you know, I remember I didn't wear makeup to school one day and someone said I looked like a bug, you know, and that was in high school. And then before that, I had a lot of more childhood uh, bullying experiences that kind of led up to that. So uh, I guess if you really want to know where it started, started, it would probably be third grade. Okay. So you had the learning disability from the very beginning of school? I just didn't know about it until I was a sophomore in high school. And then um, you progressed and you had some trouble in high school. Did you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah. um, High school. So there's kind of, I kind of look at it as two parts. So I started at school um, at a public high school and uh, was really, really depressed, really, really in a bad place. I was coming from a Catholic middle school, really small, into this uh, big high school. And so finding my way to have a group or friends was really, really difficult for me. And I, uh, you know, was really kind of struggling with, you know, depression, anxiety at that point. Um, But then whenever I was a sophomore in high school, we found out that I have, you know, nonverbal learning disability. And because of that, we also knew that uh, I would be more successful maybe somewhere else. But Mm -hmm. I never thought the idea of boarding school until, you know, they kind of brought it up. And I can honestly say that boarding school, it might have been the hardest decision, but I have some of my best friends to this day from there. So honestly, I'm so grateful for it. And, you know, the people there just really are doing their best. But yeah, so then I went up to boarding school in Connecticut and um, just kind of had a different life experience there. Of course, it's different because like they're liable for all the kids and stuff. So there's a lot of rules. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, that was kind of, that's kind of where I would say um, high school kind of started to get like a little bit better. Because so when I was the new girl at my school, I'm not even kidding you. I walked in with my roommate and it's funny because we didn't like each other at the time and now we're super close. Um, I walked in with her and I was like, why is everyone staring at me? And she's like, it's not me. It's you. I felt like I was like thrown into like a tank of piranhas and I all of a sudden had this attention. And it was so weird to me because I was not used to being, having attention. Like I, I was not used to it. And so, but obviously that faded and I did get more into a deeper depression kind of later on in my junior and senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, my junior year, I will say, of high school was actually one of, was a really rough one for me because that was the year that I had. And let me also preface this too. So sure. let me paint this picture. So I've only had one boyfriend, okay? And he was in high school and he was honestly great. It was wonderful, but it just wasn't meant to be. Um, mm. But 
when I was a junior in high school, high school, I started to just like really feel down and depressed about myself. I dyed my hair. Like I just did not know who I was anymore. At that point, I was like, I want to get to college. I want to get this. It will be so much better. And it just, I, I mean, honestly, it just one thing to led to another. And I was just always so like upset and depressed. And, you know, I'm actually really thankful I had my boyfriend at the time because I was not in the best place and not like you should be someone with someone when you're in a bad headspace. Um, he actually did help me a lot through it. Um, he was one of the first people that found out about my self-harm actually. And, um, he supported me. He, he really did support me. And, um, I really do thank him for that. And, you know, he was my only boyfriend. Everything else has been close, but not quite. Uh, you said you harmed yourself. Uh, what did you do yeah. exactly? Did you want to talk about that? Or, uh. So, no, yeah, I'm completely, I mean, my book's out there, my life's out there, like yeah. totally fine talking about it. Um, yeah. No, yeah, there is nothing off limits. But no, I think with self-harm, um, if you read my book, you will mm-hmm. see that I actually was taught to self-harm, which is really, really messed up. And um, it's not exactly by who? a good thing. Taught by a friend, quote unquote. Oh, okay. So basically, um, I didn't put every single detail about, you know, uh, first going into public high school. But basically, whenever I did find a friend there before I left, uh, she told me that she did it. And she was like, oh, you should try it. It helps. And then like, it was just so messed up. And uh, we just were both such negative energy together. So that's kind of how it all started. And then I didn't really start doing it until like, more, I would say, junior year of high school. Were you, were you cutting or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was cutting and I literally saying this is like, wow, I can't believe I did that. Um, but no, yeah, I, I was kind of cutting a little bit and uh, I definitely was just not in a good headspace. Yeah. Um, uh, people tend to frown upon that, but we had a girl on earlier from Liverpool and they weren't taking care of her right. They weren't giving her what she needed. And she would cut herself a lot, like her whole yep. leg was cut. And yeah. when I aired that and I put it out there, uh, I lost followers. They 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 thought that was bad. So wow. there's still yeah, there's still a big stigma, I think, against cutting That's the issue. I really want to say that right now. That is the issue. Because it's not like someone wants to be cutting. It's a very messed up mindset. But when you're in that space, like, I want to make that so clear to people. It's like, that is something that needs to be talked about. Because if you look up the percentages of how many people who self-harm, you would be astonished. Like, it is a conversation we have to have. Apparently, everybody in Liverpool is doing it. Um, She had to go to a private doctor because they have socialized medicine. Uh, And they weren't taking care. They didn't even give her Xanax. And she was suffering terribly. Wow. And I th- I think what happened, I've never done it, but when you cut, I think it gives you adrenaline rush. As someone who's been in that really, I honestly think right now, I'm like, that's such an effed up mindset now. But um, yeah, it's when you're in that state of mind, when you're in the suicidality, um, you kind of are like, you feel like you deserve it. And you do kind of get a rush from doing it because you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, like I deserve this, like blah, blah, blah. And it's not it's it's kind of hard to explain but i have been there so i understand when people say like oh it's like an adrenaline thing but at the same time it's also like it needs to be stopped because there just needs to be more talking about it right and and on this show we pretty much try to talk about 
any form of avoiding your problems like drinking or drugging, but certainly cutting is one of the most, you know, desperate acts, I think, that people yeah. do to try to make it all better and instead of getting the proper help because when I had my attack in way back in the Stone Age nineteen ninety one, I was unbelievably panicky and depressed. I mean, I couldn't believe what was happening to me. And all I did was give me one Xanax. And it changed changed everything. I could sleep. Uh, So these are the things that uh, are problems, I think, today, that people don't go for help when they need it. No, no, people don't. No, people don't. And I think, you know, the biggest part you said about the stigma stigmatization is that a word or something I'll, but, the, I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> but the stigma around it in general is just um you know it's something that really starts from a young age actually is what people don't understand because what i didn't realize until very many years later until i found like the best psychiatrist in the world um i didn't know that all of this started from the root of basically third grade uh, mm-hmm. basically of that feeling of just like, I didn't fit in. But the thing is, is when little things start to build on top of little things, there becomes a point where you become that person because you try, like somehow you believe this false narrative about yourself that isn't true. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people lead you to believe it's true and it's not. And it's like, it, it's something that kind of just, you know, snowballs and snowballs. And so whenever I, you know, first, you know, got help, quote unquote, um, mm. I was not ready for it, I guess, because the other part too, that people don't understand is that like, you have to buy in, you have to say, I want to change this, I want to mm. be better. Um, because I, uh, I know that that was, you know, what I experienced. And, you know, I had to want to be better. Um, and, mm. uh, and I'm glad I did. So you didn't really do much about it in high school, right? It was college that you started to get help? Um, so the thing was, is like I was going through, I was going to a therapist all along, like um, the whole time, like I've been going to a therapist for like probably like 10 years or something. Okay. Um, but the thing was, is I wasn't like actually like talking about it. Like I wasn't, you know, being open about what was happening. So I was very silent about it. Um. And so I was, like, really bad at, like, telling my parents what was going on because I was just, like, always so, like, I just felt bad. Like, I didn't want to, like, burden them. Like, and I knew it's not. But, like, I just was, like, I didn't want them to, I mean, but maybe if they knew more, I they would have, like, you know, helped me more. <laughs> I know how you feel. When I grew up, it was, there wasn't any, you know, you were either not or you were sane. There wasn't an in-between. Yep. And when I grew up, I didn't, I didn't know anything. And I suffered from OCD, ADHD, about dyslexia and five other things. So, um, even today though, there is a large stigma on people that need help. And so what happens is they don't go for help. And, and that's terrible. I mean, I want to emphasize that any young people listen to this broadcast, if you have a problem, get some help. Um, there's, me- yeah. there's medications out there. If you need that, you can do all sorts of things to help yourself. Yeah, but, um, I agree. So you made it through high school without a big problem, but then in college you had a little bit of a problem, right? 
uh, my freshman year of college, um, I kind of would say that's the worst year of my life, but I guess that was also the shaping year of my life. So basically, so high school happened and everything, and then I was excited to go to college, start new, everything with that. Mm-hmm. And then I, I actually get to college, and then I'm like sitting there, and I'm like, wait a second, this is four weeks into school, and I already hate this. I already hate my life. Why am I here? Why does no one like me? Why is no one texting me to hang out? Like, guys don't like me. Am I ugly? Like, it would, it would just be this whole snowball effect of just hating on myself. Um, and, uh, I didn't have like, I I didn't have like people there. Like I I really didn't until, um, I met like my one like best friend from there and, uh, kind of, uh, has a correlation to the book, but, and I think that with, um, you know, my freshman year of college, one thing led to another. So I think that the biggest thing for me, freshman year, like being in my dorm is that I started to accept that I was going to hate my life, that I was suicidal, that I was self-harming, that I was going to like every day after school, like I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was going to somehow make it to my classes and, uh, you know, work on my classes was like the only distraction. And I had my classes and uh, that was pretty much all I did. And then I would come back to my dorm room literally every single day, right after class, go back to my room and cry and hate my life. and honestly, unfortunately, sometimes self-harm. Um, so that's kind of where things kind of really started to trigger downhill. But it wasn't until after my roommate moved out and I had the room to myself um, that I started to really start thinking about suicide um, and, you know, doing it. And um, I, I would honestly, like, people knew like of course my parents knew but at the same time like how can they help you you know what i mean because like a parent can only do so much like it's not their it's not their fault but like you know it's the kid and so but i would just text everyone and i'd be like like anyone i had who was back home or anything like that i'd be like i just want to kill myself i'm going to kill myself sorry i can't be here and i would literally say that every day and it was so bad and just so toxic and then one day i finally was like i you know what, this day, I heard people laughing. I heard the walls are very paper thin to begin with. But I heard people Mm -hmm. laughing. And I heard everyone with their friends. And I heard everything, you know, just like that. And um, if you read my book, you see, literally got hit like a ton of bricks all at once. I was just like, Oh, my gosh, I don't belong here. I'm I should I should be dead. I, I don't see a life worth living why am i here and you know that night i was just so to the point where i just wanted it to be people when you're in that state people want the pain to go away and i thought that the pain would go away if i wasn't here i was like no one will care everyone will get over it like whatever like no one will care and really that's not true at all uh, <laughs> no, it's not. And I preach that all the time on the show. I say, it's easy for you, but the aftermath yeah. of all the people that love you, and you don't realize how many people love you. Yep, it's so sad. And, and the aftermath of that is devastating on a parent. It's unbelievable. It's horrible. It's it's horrible. I, I really, I feel like I can't believe 
that I almost did that to my mom. I mean, my mom is literally like my best friend and like, I cannot believe that I, you know, I look back now and I'm like, thank God I didn't like, you know, because I know she wouldn't even be able to move on, like move on. And like, I don't even want to think about that. But the thing is, is like that night I was just so to the point where I wasn't thinking about anyone but myself. And I was kind of just sitting there, like laying on my bed, all of a sudden seeing, you know, a bottle of pills. And um, this isn't to trigger anyone. I really hope that's very, like, said and clear. Um, but I, uh, you know, went and picked up a bottle of pills and kind of that's where everything kind of went downhill. But thank God, by the grace of God, I was putting them up to my mouth and uh, my phone rings. And the I literally, I remember this. I was like, I'm not going to answer this. And then I saw who it was. And I was like, oh, should I, I should just tell her bye. And so I answer because it's my best friend in the entire world. And I'm like, I was like, I'm going to kill myself. I love you. I got to go. I got to go. I'm going to kill myself. But And she was like, and she was like, Carolyn, Carolyn, Carolyn. Like she was like freaking mm. out because she wasn't at the same school as me um, for college. So she wasn't right there, but she was um, on the phone with me. And, um, you know, I was like, I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Like all this stuff. And I was just like freaking out. I was like hyper. Like I was just so manic. Like I was just off the rails. Like I, it was so bad. I was like hyperventilating. I was like crying. And then at the same time, whenever she did, um, like answer, or whenever I answered, she immediately, you know, stayed on the phone with me, but still got in contact with my mom, my dad, my sister. And then all of a sudden I'm like, they're calling me. Why are they calling me? You told them. And she's like, and she's like, I, I it, it's mm. to help you. I promise. Like it's, it's, it's okay. And, um, I was going to ignore them, but I ended up and I can't remember exactly if I answered right then from my parents or if they connected into like a group call, but I just remember just feeling so broken, so devastated, so alone. And I just, I felt like I did not matter. I felt ugly. I felt worthless. I felt unlovable. Mm. I felt like I wasn't worth it. I felt all these feelings that people feel when you're in that suicide ideation. And, you know, when that episode happened, I mean, it was just, I can't even believe the second. I, I, sometimes I even think about it. And I'm like, I don't even understand how just the second she called was just right. And the only reason I got it was because it was my best friend in the entire world. And, you know, on the phone, as you, I mean, in the book, um, I say something about, um, you know, the, she said something to, like while she was on the phone with me, she's like, please, I can't lose my best friend. And that was when I realized I mattered. Right. And I knew I couldn't. At that point, I knew I couldn't. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, wow. Like, this is not. Yeah, you're right. And then, um, you know, obviously, my parents um, came up and got me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, weren't going to let me go back to school. Actually. Um, they were like, we can't do this. Like you got to go out of school. And, um, yeah, it was, it was bad. It was bad. Um, but my mom, um, and I made a, like my mom, dad and I made a deal. I was like, if I get through like this semester home and like, I don't do anything, anything else, like I'm going to come home. I'm going to live at home. I'm going to like, I have to make it through this semester. I don't want to lose these credits. And my parents were like, you have to look me in the eye right now and tell mm -hmm. me that you're not going to do anything. And I was like, 
I, I don't think I will. And my mom's like, no, no, no. You have to tell me that you will not do anything. Okay. Like we love you too much. You got to get through this semester. Like you're going to get through it. Like it's okay. I promise you like, and I said to my mom, I was like, you know what? Yeah. I was like, I have to get through it. Mom, I have to get through it. And she's like, then you better not do anything. And I was like, I won't, I promise. And then after that, I was pretty close to coming home um, from school. And I was uh, very depressed after that. Very, very in a bad place. But at the same time, I also was like almost like fighting through every day because at that point I knew that I just need to get through the rest of the semester, get the rest Mm -hmm. of these classes done, and then I'll be home and you'll be with mom and you'll be with dad and you'll be with Jordan and you'll be fine. And I, you know, I just, it's just, when you think about not leaning on your family when you really should have, I mean, I just think about it all the time. And like, you know, I'm just thankful that I had the chance to even be a voice now. Um, because it's 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 hard like i can't even imagine what people do whenever they do take their life i mean their family their friends it's not people have more people well something i realized too is you have more people that care about you and love you than you actually think they they realize that's true that's very true like there are so many times where i just felt like no one cared or loved me or whatever but you know, the thing was, is like, after this whole thing happened, my little episode, my best friend, she just would, she was always there for me. I would be on the phone with her, like, all hours of the day. Like, she basically gave her freshman year to me, and I'm forever thankful for that. And I also feel bad. I'm like, I took you away from, like, all your friends and stuff, but things ended up working out, so it was okay. But, like, honestly, like, I will bring her up to the point of every conversation because I just, she's the reason I'm here. And she is the reason that I kept fighting, you know, and I think that that in itself is just truly incredible that I had that person there and I had that friend. I had my sister. She uh, went through it as well. It's part of our family history. Uh, We all have episodes. My brother had it. My son had it. And when I was going through it, my sister said, no, 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 it's something. but." You know, you'll get through it. You just have to get some good medicine and you'll get through it. Because when I was going through it at the time, you know, I thought about suicide. I thought about all of that stuff. And I don't know. I I don't know how I got through it. It's just perseverance. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Did you actually go on any medication or? So I've always been on like some sort of medication it was just the wrong the wrong one um but then when i finally um got to the right one it was like uh like i literally tried so many but i found one that worked and i don't think meds are the answer i think they help i think they are a guidance and they don't work for everyone but for me combined with therapy it's it's great And yeah. I still want that. I mean, you don't. That's not the first choice to go to medicine, but I, I'm telling yeah. you, a lot of it's chemical. And if you don't. Imbalance in your brain. Yeah, yeah. If you don't straighten out the chemicals, yeah. you can't get to a stable point where you can improve your life. I mean, I, I had to go on medicine, and it's gotten me through all that. And I got some terrific medicine a couple of years ago. 
to get rid of my apathy because I would just sleep all, all weekend. And this medication was for restless leg syndrome. And I just took oh, wow. it and it, it made me feel that much better. And it's, it's amazing how you think you control it, but you don't. It, you know, it, yeah. it kind of controls you and you have to get it treated in, in one way or the other. Um, it depends on what the ailment is. Like PTSD, you might do what's called like EDMR, I think it is, um, rapid eye movement therapy. And it really depends on on what you have. Did your parents have any history or anybody that you know? No, of? so that that's the thing is um, I wasn't, my parents, like it, I asked that. I was like, do we even have this in the family? It never ran in the family. No. Um, it never was anything like that. My sister, I like she never had, I mean, she had like her, you know, months and years, but she always got through it. And um, something I realized longer ago than I should have um, is that I should have relied on my sister more because when I was a freshman in college, she was a senior in her college, but I just like wasn't telling her what was going on. And then, you know, my parents didn't want to like worry her. So we like didn't really talk about it. But I mean, I just know that family, mm-hmm. if you can have a good relationship with your family, it's it's the most important thing because I mean, my mom, my dad, like I, they're rock stars. I mean, they literally have been there for me through thick and thin. It's good that it's gotten better because in my in my day, it was either tough it out or mm-hmm. you're not a real man and See, that's the things thing like that. And it's got it's gotten better to the point where parents are aware. Yeah. aware. No, that's that's the issue. Uh, friends are aware, and I I don't know who our advocate yeah. is. I mean, we're in a minority. I mean, you said you have a learning disability. I have ADHD. I think those things cause some of the anxiety that we go through. Oh, definitely. And I think, you know, something else that you brought up is a good point is like, you know, mental health, the the stigma, the conversation, it's not just around one specific thing of self-harm. You know, there's a stigma around men in mental health. And I think that that's a really um, good point you brought up because it's like, you're not, you know, tough, you're weak. But honestly, if men don't talk about their feelings, then it's just then they're going to, you know, bottle it all up and then, you know, take their life, which isn't what they like. They need to get get right. help and not get to that. So I think men in mental health is something that, like you said, is a minor, minority. And I think that it's something that needs to be advocated more because I think mm-hmm. that, you know, men think that women like you know, tough and, you know, don't show emotion, don't show feelings, but actually like being vulnerable with your emotions, it's one of the most attractive traits a guy can have. So it's something that, you know, they have to build their confidence and their worth within themselves too, because I think the thing about men is they always are out there to compete with each other. And because of that, I think that puts a lot of pressure Mm-hmm. on them to be a certain way and i think that the ego comes in the way of their mental health which is like that needs to end mm-hmm. i mean that has to stop there there doesn't need to be an ego <laughs> no i mean i think we're just on the fringes of 
helping ourselves. I think uh, COVID put a good light on everything. People had to sit there and really examine what they're about and what they're doing. I think COVID had a big effect on society and it opened up the doors for people to say, yeah, I don't feel good right now. I, I feel like I'm depressed or I feel like I'm yeah. over anxious because I don't want to get COVID. But I, I think, you know, things are moving in the right direction, but just not fast enough because it's still a, a stigma. It's, it's a lot of groups out there that are trying to, to break the, the problem. Like there's an ADHD group. You know, I never really realized mm-hmm. that my ADHD was a real catalyst for my problem. So I always made it second fiddle, but it wasn't. It's not. Yep. It, it, it has to do with my performance anxiety and things like that. So I, I just feel that we're just on the fringes of getting it out finally and stopping people from yeah. the alternatives like drinking, drugging, alcohol, you know, a gambleholic, oligholics, <laughs> rageaholics, yep. sexaholics. Yep. These things are all cover-ups for our pain. And, and everybody has some pain, and some people worse than others, but it, it has to become a yep. situation where it's easy to get help. And, and people that are, are depressed have to be recognized as being depressed. And somebody has to step up and say, okay, we're going to take yeah. care of this first. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better myself. I mean, that's so true. The thing is, is yeah, like you said, people use things as cover-ups. And I think that the fakeness of society really is, that's why social media needs to be more real. Because it's not right now. Facebook happy. People yeah, are Facebook like, happy. And it's just not. But behind closed doors, these people are struggling. I mean, I did it for a little. I know exactly what it's like. So honestly, my whole thing is that I think that if we can get people all on board with changing this, then we can make a change. Because the thing is, is like people with a platform, like Selena Gomez, I love her. I think she's so real, so vulnerable, so raw. Um, she just seems so cool. And the mm-hmm. fact that she's so open about her mental illness and doesn't, you know, and is kind of saying, hey, I'm open about mine. You should be open about yours. You know, sometimes it's going to take people, someone with a platform, which honestly is not how it should be. No. But if they're like, oh, if Selena Gomez can talk about this, my, I can talk My about hero, it. who I talk about all the time, people are sick of it. It's a rapper called NF. And NF sings about all the mental illness that he has. And he brings it to the forefront. And he inspired me to do this podcast because I said, if this guy's going to come out and just say, look, I have mental disease, I'm I'm an outcast, I have ADD, I have OCD. And he's just going to say it. That's what we need mm-hmm. people to do. We need people to say it when they've yep. they got a problem. And it's this true. guy was great for me as far as making me realize that I have to be who I am. Yeah, I'm a bizarre person. 
because of all these problems. And my kids, now that they're grown up, they're in their 30s, they don't really get it. They're like, Dad, you're, you're messed up. What's, why are you so weird? Or, why, why do you do it this way? Why do you do that way? So I'm an outcast within my own family. My daughter has actually ghosted me. So oh, wow. there are a lot of situations. The point I want to get across is there are a lot of families of these people and the family members commit suicide because yeah. of the problems within the family that people have ADHD and, and the relationships go sour. I mean, my, my middle son, he doesn't want too much to do with me. My oldest is nice. He's a youth pastor and he, he treats me well, but I came down to Charleston where I am now, Charleston, South Carolina to be with my daughter and my son. And instead of being with them, they realize that, well, dad needs a lot of help, so <laughs> we're just going to say dad's weird, and, and that's the end of it. I'm just, my point is that people, people are still being targeted as yeah. weird, no, so unusual, outcasts, and we don't have a voice, is, is my point. We don't have someone yeah. stepping up and saying, look, us ADHDers or learning disability people, we're 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 good people. We're the same as you. We're, we we yep. we invent things. Whatever the qualities that you have, I know I super focus. I don't know if you do that, but there's qualities that we have, and they're ignored sometimes. And yeah. that's the message I try to get out as much as possible that it's okay to be different. I was, I tried, 40 years I worked in information technology. I'm 63. And I acted the whole time. I was never myself. Because if I was myself, they'd kick me the hell out of there. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, that happened anyway. At the, at the end, I, you know, started getting normal aging memory loss. And if you add that on to ADHD, it, it kind of finishes you. Like, I couldn't remember what this person said yesterday. So it it's a, it, it makes gives you the appearance of not being constructive and not um, getting the work done and stuff like that. But we haven't even gotten to the point about you had gone out one time, uh, like the day after COVID was announced. You went to a party with some people. Yeah. Can you tell us about what happened that day? Oh, gosh. Um, okay. Yeah. So that was actually the day, literally March 15th. So the day right, like that masks were mandated, the day that COVID just kind of took over the world. Um, so this car accident happened probably around 12 or 1 a.m. I, um, and what, you know what's funny is I literally was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, maybe I should go home. <laughs> of course, what's one car ride? Um, but so for some reason, it was the kid I liked at the time and he and his friends were going back, um, to one of their apartments and I was like, oh yeah, sure. I'll come, whatever. And then I, you know, am in the car and I, you know, it's like kind of just like confused. Cause I was like, one of his friends was telling me he's talking to someone else. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? And then I like whip my head around and I see that we're about to die. 
So I luckily grabbed my seatbelt in, in time. I was in the back middle. And um, then we got yeah. T-boned. It was um, a hit and run. They literally T-boned us and then parked the car on the other side of the street and ran. So that in itself was hard. Did they ever catch the guy that did it? No. Nope. Mm. So God will give him his karma. But I just think that, um, no, the whole situation is just so crazy because so after that situation happened, I was very, um, I, I was just very, it was almost like I was a 180. You know, I was in a better place my senior year of college, but I wasn't to the point where I am now. Um, like I wasn't as open. And so basically, after this car accident happens, um, you know, some of us go to the hospital. Actually, we all went to the hospital, but some had to stay longer than others. And I reached out to everyone after the accident. And I was like, hey, like, I hope everyone's okay. Like, you know, just being caring, just being nice. And I guess the kid didn't like that, the kid I liked at the time. So he literally ghosted me. And I was like, uh, okay, like, mm. just trying to be nice here. And so I was, <laughs> I was so pissed. I was like, what is, I'm sorry that like being caring and nice and wondering how you're doing is a bad thing. Like I was just so like confused and mad. And yeah, this um, whole ghosting thing has to go away because yeah, it's, oh my it's God, a horrible, cruel thing. My daughter is oh. ghosting me and it's just cruel. It is. It's, it's just it is. cruel. And, and, and that people justify it somehow. I don't yep, know how. People try to justify it. And honestly, I'm not going to lie and say I've never done it. But it's, I've learned that, you know, you can't ghost people. You have to kind of just be straight up with someone. And, um, but no, I just, the fact that we got into this horrible car accident, you know, we all went to the hospital. I actually was the one that grabbed his phone. He wouldn't have had his phone otherwise. So mm -hmm. uh, he should thank me for that. Um, but because um, he had to get, um, he had a bleeding spleen. I had, you know, my ribs were bruised. They thought were broken. Concussion, my knee my neck and back whiplash. Like I was just all sorts of messed up, but I was able to go home. And um, yeah, two weeks after the accident, I tried to reach out and some of them were nicer than others. Um, and the fact that I was reaching out to be like, Hey, like, I hope you're feeling better. Like I'm praying for you, like blah, blah, blah. And not have the, a response. It's just kind of like, okay, like, cool. Uh, like if those experiences happen, they usually bring people closer together, but in my case, it kind of just like did That's not. Unusual, yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, just to close up with the, your book is called Unbreakable. Is that correct? And it's on Amazon. Yes. I got it for ninety nine cents. So I got the the ebook or whatever they call it, and I. You well, the thing is, I can't bad. read. I have <laughs> dyslexia, so I turn on the accessibility, oh, okay. whatever they call it. And it, you know how it tells you everything you're doing? You're pressing this number. I'm pressing this number. You know, double press this. And, oh. I, and I, it's hard. I got to get to Kindle. And then once I make it to Kindle, I just say, read every page. And it reads it, and I turn it up fast. So I'm able to read quickly with that. Um, oh, well, thanks for No, reading. no problem. Uh, I, I like to do research, especially if, if it's available. Uh, you know, that's good. But now you're in a good place, right? Oh, yeah. I, I would say I'm definitely in one of my better places mentally. But what's funny is I still have no idea where my life is headed right now. I'm very much feel like I plateaued. But I just know, like, things are going to work out one way or another. And I'm just, you know, trying to 
go with the flow of life because it's so much better to do that and so much more like relaxing and you're not all stressed all the time. So I think that that's something, um, you know, you can be in a good place even if things are a little, you know, I think I hope people understand that too. You can still be in a good place even if things are a little bit confusing or you don't know, you know, what your next job's going to be. I mean, for me, I would love to do something with singing and uh, speaking and my book, my dreams to do a book tour actually of Unbreakable because I just, I just want to keep getting the word out. You know, I just want to keep advocating for mental health and, you know, advocating for, we as I always help. say, to, yeah, I mean, and as I always say to my parents, like, I'm doing this for 16 year old me. Mm. Like, I wanted 16 year old me to know that, you know, it's okay. Like, you, you have no idea what you're going to accomplish before you're, you know, 25. Like, mm. it's, it's something that I think, um, it, it, it's crazy to me, but I'm really glad that, I am where I am and I'm, you know, writing songs and uh, Hold On and Stay actually uh, is my one I on heard Spotify. It was very nice. It was oh, thank nice. You. Thank you. Yeah, that's on Spotify as well and other platforms too. But I wrote that from a, a very, very vulnerable place. And I, you know, wrote that song because I was like, if this song could help people, I mean, imagine how the world could be. You know, I just hope that one day mm. I can get it on the radio and I can get it, you know, out there because I sing because I want to use my voice. That's why I sing and I love it. Like that's the only reason. And uh, well, that's my dream. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Do you have any other links or anything? I have a I have a website uh, which is actually the letter the letter U and then runbreakable dot com. So um, that is you know my web page for. Uh, you know, the book and just trying to still figure out other things. Um, I do have a blog as well that I have on there and I post sometimes. So that definitely um, stay tuned for that. But yeah, I'm really, um, I'm really happy with where I'm at now. And uh, even though I'm at very much a transitional period in my life, you know, I'm just trusting that whatever is going to happen, yeah. is going to be and, good. And so you would want people to, contact you somehow if they're having troubles like you did i mean honestly yeah i think it actually you know what's crazy is i did get one dm once from a girl who was like 16 and she was like thank you so much like you really helped me and um it was really sweet it was uh really sweet to see that i helped you know someone i did exactly what i wanted to do with it's the whole important. And everything you're you're, you're yeah, important no, it, is. Um, it is we all are we have to Get everybody together, and it's not going to be easy. Uh, but no, there's not. a lot of groups it's out not. there now, a lot of different podcasts, yep. and a lot of different people saying no. You know, saying you know, fuck the stigma. Pardon my French, but it's yeah. Yeah, it's true. time that people came out of the closet, and that's what I advocate on this yeah. show. Come out, get recovered. And have a happy life. That's the least you can do since you were born into such a shitty world. You could at least have a good life. I mean. I yeah, mean, that's true. And also the people that surround you. I think it's also really important. The people that you surround you. And I feel like when you're your real authentic self, the real people that yeah, are supposed yeah. to be in your life are in your life. That's what happened to me. Everybody that didn't like the new me just abandoned me. And I got people that liked me. I mean, I have yeah. a, a few friends I call 
in Jersey because that's where I'm from. And, uh, you know, it's enough. And I got my cat, my cat kitty. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> Animals are everything. Pets are therapy. I mean, pets are oh, therapy. Yeah. It's 100%. Like, I don't think everyone should have a cat or dog because, um, well, maybe a cat if you're in a really bad place. Because it's unconditional love. Yeah. They, they give unconditional love and that's what people need, I think, especially people like us who feel abandoned sometimes. I mean, people can feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. My Instagram is just carolyn.scourin, but, um, you know, I am always there to, you know, talk someone through or um, something like that because I just want people to know that their life is worth living. They have a purpose, and if they haven't found it yet, they will, but they need to just hold on and stay, which is why I called the song Hold On Stay. Nice. That's good. It, it, it was very nice talking to you, and I hope uh, everything works out fine for you. I'll keep in touch yeah, with thank you. thank you. And maybe we can have another conversation down yeah, the line. Awesome. So take care. Bye.